issue you a statement of claim for a debt that you owe in the court. And then the ATO just gets a judgment for the debt. They then enforce the judgment like they normally would of any other person you owe money to. You'd be made bankrupt and the ATO would appoint a trustee in bankruptcy who would then sell your assets to pay the ATO. You're listening to Australia's podcast for accountants, Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 274 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Director penalty notices, or in short, DPNs can ruin you and mean the loss of your home and all personal assets or your clients. So we should know more about them. Damien Lehman is a lawyer with Andrea F. Lawyers in Sydney and he has had some first-hand experiences with DPNs issued to his clients. I wanted to talk to you about director penalty notices because that's an area of tax law enforcement that is coming up more and more uh, in my experience. It's, it's something that the ATO is using more and more. Uh, and what a, what a director penalty notice is or a DPN is something that the ATO can use to make directors personally liable for certain tax debts or super, even though the company might be long gone and wound up. So it's this very unusual situation where a tax debt, which is not usually transferable, has now been attributed to another person, the director of the company. And um, they're really powerful, especially now. They, they used to not be quite as powerful, but the, as usually happens in my experience, the, the minister doesn't want to actually cut spending, but they'll listen to the ATO saying, oh, look, if we just get more powers, we'll be able to collect more revenue. So... The, the problem is solved just by giving us more powers, gives more collection powers, and then the ATO gets that, and then everything's screwed down as tight as the ATO wants. And a uh, direct penalty notice and the regime is, is a sign of that. As I understand it, and correct me if I'm wrong, usually there is a shield around the company. It's like a, a ring of A corporate sphere. veil. Yes. Exactly, a corporate veil. And usually whatever the company does stays in the company, except for certain claims or events or actions where an outsider can pierce through the corporate veil. And I understand there are quite a few incidents or liabilities where this is possible. One is environmental issues. One is fair work. One is trading while insolvent, and then the last one is the ATO with DPNs, correct? That's right. So the DPNs are just one of several possibilities where an outsider can pierce through the corporate veil and make the directors that are kind of hiding within the company personally liable. That's right. And uh, and you've mentioned the main ones there. It's just though with um so the issue the ATO has had for a long time is that they're usually the biggest creditor whenever a company gets wound up and owes a whole bunch of people money, but usually the ATO is owed the most. And it's a common situation where the, the company gets um, you know, before it's wound up, it's running to the ground. Because usually it's the creditors who decide to wind it up. You know, they apply to the court and they get it wound up and a liquidator winds everything up and the liquidator makes sure they get paid from time to time. And so there's nothing left usually for the ATO to collect. 
So a, a lot of this stuff goes back to during the 1960s, 70s era, you had a guy called uh, Garfield Barwick, and he was the Attorney General under the Menzies government. And Menzies, because he was a bit of a rival to Menzies, um, Prime Minister Menzies, he appointed him as Chief Justice of the High Court. And Garfield Barwick was one of these, these people who never met a taxpayer that he didn't like. And whenever there was a tax case that came before the High Court and Barwick was involved, usually uh, the taxpayer would win, even if yeah, sometimes sometimes taxpayers were being a pretty clever what they were doing. And um, there was even, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Part 4A, General Anti-Avoidance. So there used to be, before that, we had Section 260. They used to be doing the same job. But then Garfield Barwick interpreted Section 260 in a particular way to really just kill it. So it never worked anymore. And what he did was he said, you know, look, if a taxpayer has a couple of choices to, of how to structure their business or whatever, and they happen to pick the one that means they pay less tax, that's a free choice that the taxpayer has. So we shouldn't penalise them for that. And we can't say that they've been avoiding tax. They've just been exercising free choice. And that's the kind of fellow that Garfield Barwick was. And so anyway, during the, this period of time, he was in there from about 1964 to I think 1980 or thereabouts. During that period of time, there was a lot of cases that the tax office would lose and the government would lose. So like, like we had to replace that uh, section 260 with part 4A. We also had all these other people running around doing very clever things. And it all sort of a, a big blow up that happened was in around 1980, there was this, this guy called Costigan who had this, this committee to look into clever tax things, let's say. And it got leaked to the newspapers what his findings were. And there was this thing, these things called the bottom of, har bottom of yes. the harbour schemes, which, that's right, they were everywhere then, particularly during the 70s. And that would be a situation where you'd have a company that, in the, there was variations of this thing because very clever people were spending a lot of time, but the most simple version would be you have a company that earns income during the income year. Usually it only pays income tax at the end of the year, at least back then it did. And it could earn all this money, pay it out, and it could just wind up. So the way it would work is you'd have a company with assets in it. Uh, someone would plunder, would take out. There was no CGT in those days, so you had no real problems doing that. And then you'd transfer the company, someone of limited means, who now is the director instead of you. And then when the, the tax debts that had been accumulated during that year came up to be owed to the ATO, just say, well, look, there's nothing here. The director is, you know, a homeless person or something like that, which did happen. There's nothing the ATO or anyone else can do. And they've sent the company to the bottom of the harbour, which we don't really know where that comes from, but it's this idea that people would kind of throw the books in the bottom of Sydney Harbour and no one would be able to figure out what had happened. So this is what we call Phoenix activity today, essentially, where someone would take the money, although probably Phoenix we're talking a bit more about where people would continue on the same business, even though they sort of had failed and, and ripped people off. Obviously, Phoenix has that sort of negative vibe to it. And so in 1993, that's when these director penalty notices were introduced by uh, Treasurer Dawkins in the Keating government. And they have only been beefed up further and further until 2012, which now they've, uh, they've reached their current form, which is very powerful. So essentially the way it works is, if you have a company that owes, pays you go withholding, 
or superannuation, and it doesn't pay those amounts by their due dates, then if a certain statement isn't lodged with the ATO within either a month or three months after the due date, then forever and a day, the ATO can chase a director for those debts and make them personally liable. And that includes, like I've had a matter like this recently where there was super allegedly unpaid from 2013. The company got wound up in 2014. And then five years later in 2019, you get a director penalty notice. And you're personally liable for stuff that happened six years earlier. And the company's been in liquidation for the last five. You don't have any records. And the ATO just sends you this lovely two-page document called the director penalty notice that says, you owe $500,000, you got 21 days to pay. And there's no breakdown, there's no spreadsheet, there's no way for you to even verify that that figure is correct. And in my experience, often it is not correct. And that change that I'm talking about, what they call a lockdown DPN, that came in in 2012. They made the change then. And so any debt so that is not paid by a company and more specifically isn't reported to the ATO, that essentially what you call a director penalty crystallises in the director immediately. And it's just in some future time, they might get the notice of it. And the purpose of the notice is the ATO can't start suing you unless they give you a notice and wait 21 days. And usually these kind of matters come up with my clients after they've already got this the DPN and that's turned into a statement of claim for debt recovery from the ATO. And that's not a pleasant process. Damien, can I just very quickly take a step back? So going back to these bottom of the harbour schemes, back then there weren't any DPNs. So you could have a company run it actually for a few years. You didn't have to do this transfer every year. You could run it for a few years. Don't pass on any pay-as-you-go withholding. Don't pass on any super. Don't pay any tax. Just let the um, liabilities pile up and then after four or five years when it gets too hot you strip out the assets transfer the company and disappear correct that's what the uh, bottom of the harbor basically that's does. right that's right i agree with that but I'll, i'll make the distinction as well that um you can be a totally honest business person uh, who doesn't doesn't necessarily strip everything out at the end like in the bottom of the harbor schemes but the pays you go withholding for the last quarter got ahead of you and you just didn't wind up fast enough. Yes. The DPM will apply then too. But you're right. So it is, look, it has a important role to play as well, these DPNs, but uh, they are, in my opinion, they're also quite harsh. Those were the bottom of the harbour schemes in the um, 70s and 80s. Then I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, then the DPNs came in for pay-as-you-go withholding and for super, so that put an end to those two but we still had big problems with phoenixing and i think the reason was because the dpns didn't cover gst but now i understand correct me if i'm wrong i understand that the dpns also cover gst hence should make it harder to do phoenixing so that basically means you can only do phoenixing now with creditors that you pile up big liabilities with suppliers and then disappear so that's really the only area left where you can do phoenixing Although, of course, the Corporation Act tries to put a lock on that as well. But the DPNs basically try to protect the ATO from phoenixing. Yes, I generally agree with that. And you're right, the GST 
one came in on, I think, from the 1st of April this year. That now applies. So, yes, yeah, so DPN can, can apply to the unpaid pay-as-you-go withholding to the super and to the GST. So the only, I mean, there's probably others, but the, the big chunk that is still missing is income tax. The DPN regime doesn't yet cover income tax debts that a company may have. So the ATO, to the ex- extent that there's income tax owing uh, to the ATO when the company sort of is wound up, that is still an issue the ATO has. Yeah, but, but Damien, the income tax for companies, so company income tax is only a prepayment of tax anyway. So if the company doesn't pay any income tax, it means there are no franking credits passed on, meaning yes. whatever income ends in the hands of the shareholders is then fully tax. So I think the income tax is not such a big problem because in the end it evens out. Uh, yes, I agree with that. But that that's oh, my point sort of is uh, that everything's pretty much covered now except for that that minor aspect of the income tax, which for the reasons you've mentioned, that's why they're not part of the DPN system because there's already other reasons that that is less of a problem for the ATO, let alone the the instalment plans and all the rest of the ATO operates. So do you think the fact that we now have GST included in the DPNs from 1st of April this year, do you think that now puts an end to phoenixing or do you think we will still see substantial phoenixing, frauding suppliers of their payments? I don't really think it'll make a huge difference personally. I mean, the people who do phoenix activities, they've figured out what they're doing already, really, and does make it more difficult. Yes, that's true. But the corporate law changes about phoenixing are still yet to really have much of a bite i would say what they probably do now is rather than transferring the company to their homeless uncle or to their destitute uncle later on they just put the destitute uncle down as a as a director straight away well that's what you'd have to do that's true but you then can have shadow director discussions about even though they're appointed they're not the real director you're behind the scenes doing everything But you're right. And the point about like transferring the uh, making a homeless person the director, that was just sort of a classic 1970s thing that people would do. These days, the DPN system, it says that if a like a tax liability of the super pays you go GST, if that was a, a obligation of the company while you were a director, then we can hit you with a DPN for it later on, even if you resigned as a director before things went bad and before winding up happened. You sort of get locked in. And that's an important point to be made, actually. If you're, if the company already has liabilities like this and you join as a new director, if you're there for more than 30 days, you're now part of the existing liabilities as well. You just kind of get sucked into the vortex and now can be personally liable under a DPN the same way. And what if you never become a director? So you make your destitute brother the director then we have the shadow director provisions or they don't really have much bite those shadow director provisions if it's a really obvious situation where they can say look that person's only the director on paper but you're really the director then they i suspect the ato would interpret the dpn rules to say that they apply to you to the shadow director i haven't actually seen whether they've tested that question but I'm sure that's the the view the ATO would take. So the rules talk about the director and yes. that isn't specifically defined in the tax law. So probably it would go to those broader definitions that include stuff like shadow director, I would say. Okay, good. So 
we basically came towards the DPN rules now from the point of view of somebody who wants to do the wrong thing, wants to do phoenixing and looked for loopholes. But I think the other angle is now to look at how the DPN rules hit innocent people quite harshly. Yes, that's right. And, and the DPNs have a purpose. They have a role to play. Uh, and I'm not against DPNs, generally speaking. I'm not a big fan of this lockdown thing where six years later you can get a notice. Uh, but the reason I'm not a fan of that is part of the larger issue that, in my experience, the ATO hasn't been particularly careful in calculating the debts. And I've had well, several cases now where the ATO will send you a DPN, send the former director a DPN, saying there's super from four quarters in 2012 that we're saying you didn't pay, and that's $500,000. And you have 21 days to pay $500,000, or we're going to start suing you. And then they start suing you. And then you go through like six to 12 months of litigation in the district court. And only through that painful process do you finally get to the reality that actually, no, we did pay all the super back then, but we paid some of it late, and as soon as you're late paying a super amount, it's no longer the super, it's super plus an interest component plus $20 admin fee per employee. So it, it does increase. But in this case, the $500,000 debt was really only $50,000. And that $50,000 was just the interest in $20 per employee amount. But we, like, through a year of fighting with the ATO, going through the district court, my client on the edge of bankruptcy because of this amount, no one did the figures properly. It was only after you keep badgering the ATO and reconcile the figures that you have to get from the liquidator because the company's been in liquidation for five years. And then you kind of reconstruct everything and say, hang on, we had these number of employees. They had this salary, therefore this super. And then reconstruct what you think the ATO has done and get the ATO to finally look at your figures and go, oh, yeah, okay, that's kind of right. And they just, no one did the math. It was essentially a robo letter. And there's more and more of these robo letters. And I think particularly with super, what they do is they assume, the ATO assumes that you didn't pay any of the super, that none of the super was paid. The problem happens that the company starts going poorly. Things spin out of control a little bit, gets wound up through creditors winding up. And, you know, maybe not all the super was paid because, you know, the Everything's just kind of a mess at that stage, unfortunately, for everyone, really. And the ATO has this attitude where they've reversed the onus of proof. You're guilty until proven innocent. And the ATO says, you owe all that you did, probably didn't pay any of the super to anyone. So it's your job to tell us that you did. So it's, it's part of my larger rant that people sometimes hear from me about that the ATO is not bad and it's not filled with bad people, but it's a very powerful organization and powerful organizations can become essentially lazy. They don't have to do the math and they automate stuff like robo letters. And, and, and the last point being that that's such a problem because they can send you that notice about stuff from five years earlier and you don't have the records and also the ATO is not forthcoming with like their spreadsheet, how they calculate it. Do you find that the DPN notices are mainly regarding super? Yeah, they are usually. Sometimes pay as you go withholding too, but mostly super. And obviously, if you don't pay someone super, that's a bad thing. 
And the ATO is particularly aggressive, I believe, because at least until recently, my understanding is if you didn't pay the super, there isn't really any way the ATO finds out about that because usually you don't file anything with the ATO about super. But pay-as-you-go withholding, you put that in your BAS every quarter or whatever. So the ATO would have a situation where the super hadn't been paid for you know, many quarters and it doesn't get found out. So, and that's why these DPNs, they do have this, uh, this rule in there that says, look, if you don't pay the super by the due date, we don't care too much about that if you send us what's called a super guarantee charge statement within a month of the end of that quarter. If you at least tell us there's super that you haven't paid, but we know how much it is and we have that on our record now, we can't chase you, and you file it within the month, I mean, then we can't chase you under a DPN for it. I have gone through that exercise. So a client migrated from New Zealand, started a business, did well, but didn't know much about super, didn't pay super for three quarters, then realized that he has a problem, engaged a best agent, they calculated all the super they owed and immediately paid it. And the problem was because it was so late, they shouldn't have paid it to the super fund, they should have paid it to the ATO. So when mm. I then contacted the ATO and said the super has been paid, unfortunately late, but it all has been paid, then their argument was, well, you can offset that super that you paid with later super obligations, but these three quarters should have been paid to us and you haven't paid them to us. Hence, we are going to issue a DPN. And then it took a long time and you had to fill out an offset request mm. and then apply for an exception because usually you couldn't offset anymore after a certain period which had expired. So it was a big exercise, but in the end, we got it offset with the payment. But I did go through the super guarantee charge statement. And then, of course, there were a lot of penalties and a lot of interest, but we actually got all of the penalties and the interest waived. Let me say that differently. Anything that went to the employees, of course, wasn't waived because the ATO can't waive something that an employee is entitled to. But anything that was just going to go to the ATO, including the admin charges or similar, they were all waived. It was a close call. We were very close to a DPN. That's a familiar story to me as well. And I, I find the, I don't want to say needlessly complicated, but like it's something that you really have to be like dealing with tax stuff all the time to realize with super that say there's the super contribution that you owe an employee for the quarter. That's it's also called the superannuation guarantee contribution. If that's late, that morphs into a different flavored thing called a super guarantee charge, which compo composes now the, the contribution that you owed, which is called now a shortfall amount. And then they add an interest component onto that, which accumulates over time. And then the $20 per employee component. So when you try and reverse engineer and you go, well, he was getting paid a thousand bucks or whatever in this period, the super is 9.5% of that. Okay. Well, we know what that is. You don't know the damn interest easily. And when there's multiple employees, you can't easily identify the $20 per employee amount. And then the ATO, they'll bundle together all the components of this, what's called SGC, the super guarantee charge, and they bundle that all together with all of your employees and send you one figure in your director penalty notice for the period for a quarter. And you just can't make heads or tails of that. You can't verify that any of that is correct. And 
that is the problem. The, the lack of transparency is the problem. With STP, do you think the whole process will change? Because with STP, now the ATO can see exactly what super should have been paid, just as they can see what pays you go withholding should have been paid. So hopefully with STP, that will change now and be more straightforward, more like just pays you go withholding that you know exactly what the amounts are. With the single touch payroll, I, I'm yeah. hopeful of that. I mean, I it's a funny situation where I'll have a client who they had their business that they were running for many years and businesses just start failing at one point and people get behind and the way the ATO would like it to work is as soon as you're, you know, one day late on being able to pay all your, you know, your super and your pays you go withholding and that sort of stuff, you should immediately close your doors and wind everything up. That's how the legislation operates. But it's not that simple, obviously, especially not for people who are personally invested in their business financially and emotionally. And so, I mean, there's... It, It's not really a secret that there's probably many business, businesses out there who just kind of get by month to month, you know, and they, they kind of don't, they're late on the pay as you go withholding and things will get better soon. And then the payment comes in and, you know, and then they sort of trade out of that issue. But then there's people who, who hope they will trade out and never do that agonizing period goes on for a year or whatever. And then, you know, I have clients who they say, look, yep, we didn't pay the super. We didn't pay the full super. And, We, we were always planning to pay it later, but, you know, things spun out of control and we know that it has to be paid. And, and often I have the clients that they'll physically, they'll pay money out of their own pocket to pay for it. And that's all fine and appropriate. It's just that when the ATO says this thing happened five years ago and it's X dollars, it's $500,000 with no transparency, there's no... Even like, because very commonly I'll have clients going, look, unfortunately, I know some super wasn't paid, but I know not that amount. That doesn't even add up. I didn't have that many employees even, that sort of stuff. That's, yeah, that's an issue with the whole system, I would say. Do you find that the DPN letters come usually completely out of the blue, completely unexpected? Or do you find that usually the taxpayer knows that something is not paid yet and they're just surprised by the amount, but not by the arrival of the letter? My sense is that they seem to come out of the blue. I think, and that's sort of another, I would say, issue with the system, is that often these DPNs, it will, say you'll have a company that just gets wound up. The liquidator gets appointed and the liquidator is handling the affairs of the company now. They're dealing with the creditors, of which the ATO is one, usually the biggest one. And the liquidator now is sitting in charge of the company. And you may have one employee who, who says to the liquidator, look, I, I don't think I've been paid all of my super. And that, look, that may be the case, but maybe it isn't the case. But the liquidator doesn't go, well, I'll check. They just go, oh, look, no one's really financing me to do this, check this investigation. I'll just tell so I just ATO. pass it on. Yeah, exactly. I just pass it on to yeah. the, yeah. And the And the ATO audits everything and then they assume that no super was paid entirely, at least in some cases I have seen. That's how the case I was involved with was triggered. One of the employees mm. spoke to the ATO and then those default assessments were made. What's the difference between a DPN and a default assessment? I assume the first step is a default assessment, basically telling the company you owe this. 
we didn't know about the super, but now that we have been told about the super, this is the super you need to pay. Mm -hmm. But now you need to pay it to us and not to the super fund. And then if that doesn't get paid, then the DPN comes and makes the director personally liable, correct? Yes, that's right. And the point I was making earlier about that the liquidator triggers things off with the ATO, what all that means in practice is that the person who used to be the director it isn't usually involved in any of that process. So there is stuff going on with the ATO and the ATO is sending correspondence about debt, debts like default uh, assessments like you just mentioned. But the, the director or the former director usually isn't part of any of that and doesn't know about it. And then that's why it's out of the blue to them because there might have been one or two years of, of stuff happening between the liquidator and the ATO getting the default assessments because now the liquidator is the company, but the DPN then can just come out of the blue uh, to the director. That's an aspect of the system and how it works. Uh, but uh, one point I'd make about that is that it's important to remember that these DPNs must be addressed to the address of the director on the ASIC register. And if you often comes in, people don't update the ASIC register when they move. And the law doesn't care about that. If you've moved, but your old address is still in the ASIC register, the ATO can validly send a DPN to you to your old address and start the 21 days before they start suing you time clock. So that's something to be aware of as well. Have you ever heard of a case where somebody gets up in the morning, there's a knock on the door, they open it, and there is a team of police, including with an official looking gentleman or lady possessing your house and all this comes completely out of the blue because the taxpayer or the director the former director didn't update their records they addressed with Essex so all letters from the ATO regarding the default assessment regarding the DPN letters etc they all went to the old address so the director didn't know anything and then it went through the courts they still didn't know and then one day there's a police cohort in front of the house throwing them out of the house have you ever heard of a case like that not exactly like that but there are the rude shock cases and the, what what that is is you'll get served with a statement of claim one morning that's for this dpn amount that you never knew because the dpn because it's under the tax law regime the rule is just it has to go to the asic address For the director. But once the 21 days has run out, then the ATO can sue you like a normal debt. And that the normal rules of civil procedure apply for that, which is they have to usually personally serve you at your house. Or you get it in the post at your normal address, not the ASIC address, if that makes sense. So if it's a situation where the DPN's been going to the old address on ASIC, the way you then will find out about it, unfortunately, will be the statement of claim in the post or handed to you by a process server in person that'll say, look, we're now suing you. And the important thing to remember then is that when, th that's why these things are so tricky actually, because when the tax office is suing you, they're suing you just for a debt. Say it's the $500,000 DPN amount because the company owes super of $500,000. The DPN gets, well, the, and if the amount isn't paid, and you didn't file the super guarantee charge statement within the month of the end of the quarter, the, the penalty's locked in at some future day, they can send you the notice, uh, then that's a new debt that arises out of the company's $500,000. You now owe $500,000 yourself. It's a separate but parallel debt, but it has no, well, it's really just now like a personal debt you have to the ATO that they can just sue you for immediately 
in a normal state court, usually the district court in New South Wales at least. And the, what all, the point of all that is, is that you can't have an argument in the district court about, oh, the, the, um, the calculation is incorrect on the super because this is a parallel direct penalty debt. And the district court will say, well, first of all, we're not a Commonwealth jurisdiction court, so we can't talk about tax and how it's been calculated. And this is a personal debt that you have. So if you're saying the company paid its tax or the amount of the tax or super that the company should have paid is different, you need to get the company to have a fight about that. You can't personally do it anymore because you're now not the company and you have now a separate parallel debt. So in that situation, you wake up and like my clients often do, you're getting sued in the district court for $500,000. You're pretty much stuffed in the district court. You can only really slow the process down and talk separately to the liquidator, who's now the company essentially, and get them to start to file an objection to the ATO or any of that fails, go to the AAT or the federal court and further proceed to argue about the calculation to say that it's not 500,000, it's less or it's zero. So because of this artificial way that DPN's created a separate debt, there's all this rigmarole in trying to kind of undo it because you're now just a guy, you're the former director. And I had this case early on where we got the DPN for 500,000 bucks for super allegedly unpaid in 2012. And we knew that wasn't the right amount or the client did. So we wrote to the ATO saying, well, can you please show us how you've worked this out? Which is, I would say, a pretty reasonable request because you would assume the guy at the ATO got out the spreadsheet before he put together his two-page DPN with the big number on it. So you ask for that and they say, well, look, thanks very much for asking, but you're no longer a director. So what? Sorry, you're not part of the company. You're not the public officer of the company. So this is not information we can give to you, but we can recommend you do a freedom of information request to get that information instead. And then we went and did that. And then they go, that's very interesting. Thanks very much for that request. But again, you're not a public officer of the company. You're asking for confidential information that the ATO has about the company. You're not the company, so we can't show it to you. So we're in the Kafka world. You're guilty. We don't have to tell you why. You just owe the money. And unless you can then corral the liquidator, who is reluctant usually to do anything, to go through and talk to the ATO themselves to get the information themselves, you're in this weird situation where you know the debt is wrong, but you're being sued for in the district court. You can't argue about it in district court, and there's nothing you can do without the liquidator to kind of go through a process and object or do like a late payment offset form or any of these other things. So that part gets quite frustrating. Let's put the liquidator aside and just look at a company that is not in liquidation, just hit rough times. And so you have a former director and you have the current director can the current director be made liable for something that happened before the directorship? Can they receive a DPN for super that wasn't paid before they became a director? Yes, if it's outstanding when they came a director and they were there for more than 30 days, yes, they'll be liable. Okay, so that means you basically have two directors liable, the former director 
who was a director when the super was not paid. Is that is that right? The former director can still receive a DPN for something that happened under their watch. That's right. And it's not uncommon for the ATO to send a DPN to all Both directors. That ever were. That ever were. Well, at least that were. The only exception would be someone who was a director before the relevant liability came up. But okay. otherwise Good. everyone else. And often, and so everyone can get a $500,000 DPN. There's no offset or anything. And they're all jointly and severally liable. So it's this weird situation too, where I had a matter where there was two directors and they owed $200,000 of pay-as-you-go withholding. Each of them got a DPN for $200,000 and they had had, they'd gone their separate ways and they hated each other now. And my client was one of the directors saying, I, I only owe half of it. Can't I pay a hundred thousand? And I'm saying, well, no, that's not how it works. The ATO isn't going to care about that because mm -hmm. The other guy's gone off and the other director has gone off and became bankrupt somewhere, as far as we know. But even besides that, it's the system in theory says, look, you both individually owe $200,000. If one of you is paid the $200,000, you have a right of indemnity against the other director that you can then sue them to collect their share. But that's not really a workable process for most directors. And in that particular case, we have managed to negotiate with the ATO before and reduce the debt and pay less of it and this sort of stuff over a period of time. But it's hard going to get that result. It's not the way the law is meant to work. But that's terrible. It basically means never join a company as a director. Always do an asset sale. Never do a share. Buy the assets. Never buy the company. Always buy the assets. That's exactly right. Yes. Because you, you be never very know. careful buying shares. Yeah, yes. because you never know what dead bodies are hidden in the boot. Yes. Buy the assets out of a business rather than buying the company itself by via the shares. Because, and even if you're just joining as a director, for, for some reason you might be doing that. Usually you don't want to be a director because you have all these liabilities, like you mentioned earlier, uh, including the tax stuff. And unless you really feel confident that. They don't owe any tax. They'll show you the tax portal and all that sort of stuff. You should be pretty careful about that because you can then be personally liable and that means bankruptcy for you if you can't pay. Clearly, there needs to be some regulation. And again, I'm not against DPNs, but it's hard to know when they've got the balance right. And at least the, the easy way out of the argument for me is keep DPNs, but make them more transparent. And if the, if the damn director taxpayer says, how did you calculate this? The ATO should be able to send you the 100 pages of calculations that they've done. And then you can go, well, crap, they're right. I guess I'll pay it or I'll go bankrupt. But without that, and that's not what you get at the moment, you only get your two-page thing that has the one big number on it. And there's nothing you can easily do, even through doing an FOI request. And that really is the problem with the system at the moment. the process again before we even get into dpn territory there always has to be an assessment or a default assessment then that assessment or default assessment obviously doesn't get paid that liability then continues standing there and then in addition we get a dpn that now creates a second claim against the director personally That DPN can then translate into a statement of claim. After the statement of claim, it has to go to the district court and then you can get a court order for repossession. That's the process, isn't it? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. So the, they would 
issue you a statement of claim for a debt that you owe in the court, which because of the amount and, and the jurisdiction, that's the district court in New South Wales, but it's different jurisdictions in other states. And then the ATO just gets a judgment for the debt and then they can use that to enforce. They then enforce the judgment like they normally would of any other person you owe money to. And that uh, essentially would then involve them making you bankrupt. That's really the what would happen next. And how quickly they would do that, I, I can't really say, especially in these, these COVID times. But that's where everything would end up. You'd be made bankrupt and the ATO would uh, appoint a trustee in bankruptcy who would then sell your assets to pay the ATO. So that's the process. Yes. So the moral of the story is basically that once there's a DPN, it's like a train that has run loose, that lost its brakes, and then it's very difficult to stop that train because it's now a personal debt. And especially if you're no longer the director, but a former director, you no longer have access to the files that can substantiate or not substantiate this claim. Yes, that's right. I, I would say if you're someone who's in business, you're a director of a company, always make sure to pay the pay-as-you-go, the super and the GST on time. If at least you can't pay on time, make sure you file the paperwork you need to file. Because if you don't file the paperwork you need to file within the time limit, then you're automatically as a director personally liable from that time. And at any time in the future, you can receive a piece of paper called a director penalty notice that'll make you liable for that amount. And you have to pay it yourself. And there's not really any way around that once you've missed that deadline. If you receive a directed penalty notice in the post, you should ring up your accountant or your lawyer pretty much immediately because you usually only have 21 days to pay before the ATO can start suing you in the courts. And once they're suing you in the courts, you're on the back foot and it's quite a difficult process uh, and it takes a long time to untangle the way the ATO has calculated what they say is the debt. So you have to be proactive, keep good records uh, and make sure the company pays everything it needs to pay when it can or at least files all the paperwork that it must file. Yes, and if cash flow is short, then don't pay the suppliers, don't pay the bank, skip whatever debt you need to skip, but do not skip the debt towards the ATO. Yes, even though the ATO is an unsecured creditor in theory like everyone else, this DPN regime lets them chase you personally more than really anything else that any other creditors may have. Hence, they are the most dangerous creditor you can have. That is right, definitely. Welcome back. So DPNs issued to former directors of a company are a nightmare to deal with. You have the claim against your personal assets, but... Since you are no longer a current director, no channel to find out how this claim came about. In the next episode, episode 275, Alan Fitzgerald will talk about tech software. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Klaus for their support. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. For between you and me, the bottom of the harbour bit is probably a bit of colour to just get get to this part of history where the government was really trying to catch up to the, the dodgy people and started to really create these rules. And the DPN is something that emerged out of that period of time, out of the Garfield Barwick High Court, which was giving taxpayers a lot of leniency 
And DPNs were not specifically designed to combat bottom-of-the-harbour schemes themselves. Those were quite specific for the period, especially before CGT was around in 1985. But they're, they're sort of linked. It's, it's all mischief with corporations and their tax. What, what I, I meant to say during our last podcast, actually, is that corporations and companies now mean the same thing. They're just synonyms since we invented the registration system for companies. Everyone can create their own legal person pretty easily. And so now every company is a corporation that has a corpus in a body. So now we have these two words that mean the same thing. And there's not much reason why we have two words and people use them interchangeably. And, and they used to always confuse me why that was the case, but uh, that's why. And the Americans, I think they still say corporation for the yes, same reason. Yes, they do. I don't think they say company. No, they don't do. No, they don't say company at all. They do corporation. And I know that because I just filled out a form, which was a lot about corporation here and corporation there, and the word company didn't fall once. So and and the same with, um, with, uh, with stockholder. Do they say stockholder? Is that what they say? It sounds wrong saying it out loud, but, but you buy and sell stock. Yes. In yes, America. You can say stock, yes. Yeah, and that's again back to this old pre-system where you used to have a non-corporation collective, a company that wasn't incorporated, that you would have that bit of the trading stock is my bit. So I have stock. You know, you don't have a share because there isn't a corporation that you have a bit of. Those are, I've been listening to my old podcast, the, the last one, and going, oh, I should have mentioned that. Forgot to mention that part. <laughs>